listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Hey, let me say good morning, church. It's always good to see everyone and Man, thanks to our elders, and so each week uh, we are going to be implementing a time of, of prayer and confession, and we want you to know each week they will be back there to pray with you for anything that you may have going on, big or small, uh, they want to be there to pray for you. And it is exciting that Life Group's soon to be kicking off, and we do want to make sure you get in the right home, because I'll tell you what I did one time, I've got a bad habit if I know you just walking in. So be prepared. Uh, we were getting together at someone's house. It was for a lunch, and uh, we were planning some things ministry-wise, and we pulled up. We were uh, kind of the last ones to show up. I had some things at church to wrap up, and we finally made it there. It's in the end of a cul-de-sac, and I just assumed it was this house and went up, opened the door, led my family into the kitchen, set our uh, things down on the counter, and began thinking, man, where is everyone? And then I could hear a lady in the back room chastising her husband over something. I don't know what it was. Realized, we're in the wrong house. So I'm like, shh, hurry, 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 get out, get out. So we left. I don't even think they ever knew we were there. And so it was the home next to them. So see, we want to make sure you get in the right house. And we will make sure of that. If you have your Bibles, find 1 John chapter 4 this morning. 1 John chapter 4. So we've been talking through the vision of who Bethel is and what we are about. Uh, If you're new and you're a guest with us this morning, we want you to know Bethel is so much bigger than what you see here. Bethel is a multi-site church. We uh, have three campuses right now. And so all across those three campuses for the month of August, we have been talking about what we are about. What are we trying to accomplish? Where is this vision that we have is Bethel. We have a campus downtown. We have one on 69 South and then now in White House. And so our vision statement, if you've seen it on the website, it's fairly lengthy. So we have bolded down to kind of three rememberable statements. It's growing communities, building leaders, and living generously. And so we have talked about building leaders, that every one of us is a leader because we all have influence. We also have talked about living generously and that we hope it comes from who we are, our identity, and then we live that out in being generous. So this morning, we're going to explore the last component of our vision, growing communities. And there are probably many thoughts, ideas, and images that come into your mind when I say community. Some of you, it puts a smile on your face because you've had some great experiences. For some of us, It's fear, because there's been some things that have happened, and and we've tried this thing called community, and man, it did not go well. In fact, this idea of community, depending on your experiences and all the things coming into this, we have a formed idea of community. But there are so many obstacles to this, and I've called them enemies, Maybe it was an opportunity, a past hurt. Time is an obstacle, an enemy of community. Priorities. But there is an enemy that stands above everything else when it comes to the idea of 
true, uh, biblical, effective community. And that enemy is us. When it comes to community, we are our own worst enemies. In fact, psychologists call this self-sabotaging. And it's, it's when something good is going on and you do everything in your power to kill it. I mean, you fight for something you really want and when you get there, you just destroy it. And we've all done this. I mean, it's like this phrase goes that we get in our own way. And so I'll tell you one again about me. Um, 16 years old, saved up money to buy, replace the AMFM. Uh, player in my 86 Cutlass. Saved up enough money, drove myself to Longview to service merchandise, and, and I picked out this Pioneer uh, CD player. And uh, it was on a Friday afternoon, and my dad told me, son, if you'll just wait two days since you saved up your money and you bought that, I'll pay to have it put in. Well, I, I couldn't stand, I couldn't wait. I mean, that's two whole days that I had to wait to get this CD player in my car. So I did the best thing possible. Me, a 16-year-old, with no experience whatsoever in putting in car electronics, I found another 16-year-old that had even less experience than I did, and we got together in my driveway, and we were going to put this thing in. And I'm telling you, we did more damage we broke things that were not broke. We blew fuses that, that were working fine. In fact, the guy got in there and it cost us twice as much to put in that CD player as if it had if we just waited for two days. And the thing was, I was my own worst enemy. If I had just gotten out of my own way, success would have happened. But we have the same issue when it comes to the idea of community. When I think about community, I think it's something deep down that we'd say, yes, a community is something that I want. But deep down, we want to know others. We want to be known. We want a group of people we can connect with and have some common experiences, do some things together, actually get along, enjoy hanging out, and hopefully encourage each other to walk in a more Christ-like manner. But we get in our own way. We, we become, I know I become my own Worst enemy when it comes to the idea of community. Because we say we want community, but sometimes our view of community is unrealistic. Or we want community to fit into our already overcrowded schedules. We want it to be easy, comfortable. We want it to happen, really. I need it to, I'll do community, but really I don't want to have to put much into this. And we become our own worst enemies of creating something that we really want and we self-sabotage when it comes to it. So today I want us to see then what is the solution. To find true community, here's what has to happen. We have to be rescued from ourselves. That God must rescue us from ourselves so that we can love. Or we would say to live in Community. So, 1 John chapter 4, we're going to begin at verse 7. So, here's the main purpose. If you were to read through 1 John, he's going to really focus on two things. First of all, live obedient. Live obedient lives to God. No matter what's going on, live obediently to His Word. And then he's going to say over and over again, 
Love your new brothers and sisters that you now have in Christ. So John is encouraging them to build community. But like us, they're their own worst enemies when it comes to community. They get in their own way. So God, what he's going to do, he's going to have to rescue them from themselves so that they can love. So let's pick up in verse 7. It says, beloved, which means dear friends. And so John's setting the example of how we are to look at each other. When you see me and, and I see you, we should think, oh, that's a dear friend. That, that's beloved. And then the command, let us love one another. So it's simple. How we view each other, and the command is to love one another. And he's talking about community. And the, the community, it's this idea, it's where God's love is shared among his people. And so John says, and he does it differently. In fact, if John had just said, okay, church, it's going to be short this morning. It's not going to take long. Church, go and love each other more. Let's pray. But he knows that is going to be a recipe for disaster. It's only going to end in failure. So John reminds them of where this love has to originate. Look at the next part. For love... Is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So, so I want us to see three important things about loving in, in community. First of all, he says that God is the source of this love. That it comes from Him. The love we are to have from one another, meaning it should come, it comes from Him. In fact, this means when the world looks at the church, they should see a love that is supernatural. Meaning there should be people on the outside looking going, why are those people acting the way they do? I mean, how can they continue to love each other when I know what they said about them? Or, or whatever it might be happening, there should be questions about how can you all get along? It should be a supernatural Love, because this command to love, if it begins with us, it will fail. We talked about this with our life group leaders this uh, past Sunday night. You know, small groups kicking off, men's group led by Calvin, our women's groups on Wednesday and Thursday morning, and our life groups. It's this idea of we want to create small groups for people to come together and to be known and to know others and to encourage each other in this walk of faith. But if this love generates with us, it is going to fail every single time. Because if the source is built on us, listen, I know this about myself. If I'm commanded to love you and the only power I have in that is me, you're out of luck. Because here's what's going to happen. I know this about me. If I'm to love you, it depends on a lot of things. It depends on what kind of day I had. If I've had a bad day, I'm sorry. There's just not much I can do about that. You're going to get the short end of that. Ask my family. It's going to be inconsistent. It's going to be conditional. Man, it's going to depend on you. I love you, but you know I want something in return. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. That's just kind of humanly how it goes. If the source is me, I'm going to love you, but guess what? You better not upset me, and you better not hurt my feelings. Because you do that once, I'm out. Humanly, that's where our love 
generates from. But he says you are to love one another and the source is God. The command is not love one another. It's love one another with the love that is from God. In fact, we should long to love like that. We should long for our church to love like that. Second, he says our love towards one another that comes from God, it testifies to our identity. Just like living generously, when we love with this supernatural love that God has, it identifies us that we have been born of Him. It tells people, it's painting a picture of who we really are. But third, note this, this is a universal, all-inclusive call. Meaning, if you're a Christian, if you claim to be someone that's trusting in Christ, This is a call for you. No believer is exempt from this command to love one another. You may not be called to certain things that he may call others to, but this call to love, no one is exempt from it. So the command is for all Christians to love each other with a supernatural love that doesn't generate from within us, it comes from him. It must find its source In God, because our love, it's going to fail. So now we get to the point that God, in order for this to happen, He's got to rescue you from you and me from me if we are going to be able to love in that way. Look at verse 9. So in this, the love of God, it was made manifest among us. It, It was portrayed before us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. He's saying, This is what love is. This is how you know love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So if love is a call, and it is, and if love has a source, and it does, then the life love demands. It demands a rescue, meaning this. God the Father sent His Son, Jesus, into the world. Jesus came, He faced trials and temptations of all of life in a fallen world. And He did this as your substitute. He was in the always perfect in word and thought and choice and action. Therefore, He was able to go to the cross untainted by sin taking our sin upon Him and satisfying the wrath of God, purchasing our acceptance with God. And Jesus, who lived and died and rose again, conquering sin and death on our behalf so that we might know life. Jesus did this not only to give us eternal life, and we're thankful for that, we can't wait for that, but also to give us real life here and now. In fact, every human has life. And some people are living in a life that is incomplete and only a facade of what is real. They think they have joy. They think they have happiness and purpose and fulfillment. But it's a mistake because it's a life that is motivated only by self. And we are our own worst enemies. So Jesus came to rescue us from God's wrath but also from ourselves, meaning God's love has to rescue us 
from the love of ourselves so that we then can love in that supernatural way. And that's what I mean when I say God must rescue me from me so that I can love. You know, we first of all have to be rescued from the love of ourselves so that we then can love. Because here's what sin does. Sin turns us into ourselves. Sin makes us self-focused and and self-absorbed. The love that we have for ourselves, listen, I know this personally, it is strong. It is sturdy. We want to put ourselves in the center of the universe, the place where we should never exist. We are so focused. We are so busy. We are so obsessed. We are so occupied with loving ourselves that left alone, First of all, we'd never have the desire, the motivation, or the time for anyone else. So in order for true and biblical and effective community to happen, we have to be rescued from ourselves. We are our own worst enemies when it comes to community and loving each other. So what do we do? I think John lays it out there that we must daily return to the gospel. That the more we are overwhelmed with God's love for us, the greater our desire and motivation to love others will be. Meaning we realize where we would be and where we'd be headed if God did not send His Son to rescue us, the more a call to love others, I think it'll be seen. In fact, all when you look and you read about how God patient, how God, how patient God is, man, it's in those moments, man, we find patience that we didn't even know was possible. When we realize how much God has forgiven us, man, isn't it so much easier to forgive someone else? When you see how much uh, we should, how much God should just kick us to the side because of getting on His nerves, but He continues to accept us, we should do the same. For others. But if you don't believe me, look at verse 11. He says, Beloved, if God so loved us, if that's true, if God loved us, meaning if that is true, we also ought to love one another. Now you need to underline that word ought, because when we read that, we probably often think about obligation. And that's true in this verse, but it leaves the word ought. If we leave it there, we miss the the bigger meaning than just the word obligation. So it's like this. Say I pick up the latest book on marriage. And man, I find some great things that I'm to call my bride three times a day. Just to let her know I'm thinking about her. I should take her out on a date once a month that doesn't end in Target or the grocery store. I ought to give her a gift, a write her a note, six times a year. Great things to do. We would all say, yeah, that, that sounds great. So Monday morning rolls around. I call my wife and I say, good morning, honey. I'm just making the first of my three calls that I ought to make today. You know what I'm going to hear? Click. Or actually just, you know. That, that's what's going to happen. But this word ought, it's talking about design. In fact, John is saying we were created. You were designed. You ought to love. Think of it like this, that birds ought to fly. Fish 
ought to swim. The earth ought to rotate around the sun. Children ought to obey their parents. Christ ought to be the head of the church. Meaning things were created and empowered for a particular purpose. In fact, we have a neighborhood that is full of dogs. All hours a day, it seems like people walking their dogs. People ought to do that. I've never yet seen someone walking their fish. It just doesn't happen. And so he's talking about this idea of design. But there is something wrong. There's something wrong and broken when God's people who are created in his image don't live in love, when we shrink back into this, this selfishness that wants only what I want, wants to build our lives around our agendas, there's something wrong when we need to be rescued from that. And he says we ought to love, meaning he's reminding us that is what you were created for. You were designed for this. But I'll confess this. Man, this call to love supernaturally, even out of design, man, it doesn't always happen for me. There are many times throughout my day and week I, I feel like I, I fail at this. I'm unloving to my wife and my children. I'm impatient with people. My feelings get hurt easy. I get judgmental. I become self-absorbed, concerned with my own agenda, controlled by what I want to do. And so when... We fail to live out this supernatural calling to love one another and, and live in community. We need to be reminded of the following verses. Look at verse 12. No one's, no one's ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus abides in Him and He in God. So when we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us, God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected within us, so that we have confidence of the day of judgment, because he is also as we are in this world. So I want to point out that twice John says that God's love is being perfected in or with us. In verse 12 and in verse 17. But when we hear this word perfected, we probably think of something that's flawed, that something has been done that is now not flawed. We, we think of something maybe without imperfections. But that's not the meaning of this word here. In fact, the key is what John says in verse 17 right before perfect. John says, by this, meaning by this love perfected, with us. So the by this is look at verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. Meaning, when we come to know and to believe the love that God has for us, 
When we hear about God sending His Son to rescue us from God's wrath, from sin and death, and even from our own selfishness, we see that God not only loves us, but that He is love. And when we begin to realize that, we begin to abide, He says, or to live out that love. So when we hear, we believe, and then you live that out, He says that is love being perfected. So this word perfected means accomplished. So when something reaches its goal, it's said to be perfected. So John is encouraging us by saying, listen, love is perfected in us, not because it's flawless or not even because it's beyond needing improvement, but simply because you are putting love into action. So listen, in our small groups, in our men's groups, our women's groups, in our life groups, we can't expect people to love us perfectly, without flaws or mistakes. But when we see any form of love, no matter how small or how big, God sees that as being perfect, of love in action. So that's another way God's love rescues us from ourselves. That our expectations of what others need to be doing for us, when we see just the smallest act of love in action, we need to know, oh, man, that's love that is perfected. It's accomplishing what it should. But now I want to bring it full circle by the last four verses. He begins in verse 18 by saying, There is no fear in love, but perfect love, it casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. But whoever fears has, has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. And if anyone says, I love God and he hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not love his brother, whom he has seen cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And listen, there is so much there that we just don't have time to get into. But I want to draw your attention to verse 19. Because he says, we love because he first loved us. So true, biblical, meaning, effective, loving community only happens because God first loved us. That community will not last if the source of your love, of this life group, this small group depends and is built upon my love. It will never last. It will never be perfect. It will never be effective. But when we realize that God is the source of that love, the more we are overwhelmed with God's love for us, the more we would realize that we need to be rescued from ourselves so that we can rightly love. So if you were to read through this entire book of 1 John, if you haven't done that, man, that'd be a great thing to do. So let me give you just some highlights of the things that you would see about community in 1 John. He would say, community, you know what? It can rejoice with others in their good news and not allow pride and envy to slip in. Community, it does not have to hide from sin and failure. 
Because we know that we are fully accepted in Christ. Community is meeting the needs of others even at the greatest of cost. Community, it's not without flaws, but it's perfect because it's love in action. Community, it displays God's glory to a lost and hopeless world. But community requires commitment. Community, you must be willing not just to do it out of obligation. Community requires self-sacrifice. Community, it requires us to be rescued from ourselves. So deep down, I think we're all searching and wanting community. In fact, it's probably the number one reason I have ever heard of someone leaving a church. Sometimes people move and God does that. But most of all, if they're staying around, it's because I haven't found a place or I'm not connected or I don't know anyone. Because I think deep down, we are all searching and wanting community. We want to know other people. We want to be known by them. We want a group of people we can connect with and share some common interest, enjoy being around each other, and hopefully to encourage each other to follow Christ. But we get in our own way. We become our own worst enemies. Because we say we want community, but sometimes that view, it's warped, it's incorrect. We want community, but we want it to fit into our already busy schedules. We want it to be easy and comfortable and to happen without much effort. We become our own worst enemy by creating something that we really want only to self-sabotage. So in order for true community to happen, in order to fulfill this universal, supernatural call to love each other, we have to be rescued from our own selfishness. But I promise you this, you can You can find true, meaningful, biblical community. How do I know that? Because I have found it. But it won't be easy. It comes at great sacrifice. You'll need to make an effort. You'll need to put yourself out there and trust other people. But it is totally worth it. So I want to prove to you that it's worth it. Where are they? I'm going to try to do this if I can. But this is kind of the last official Sunday. You'll still see them some, but for Corey and Karen Mason and Kate. Um, Corey's taking a job in the Dallas area. He's going to be the new executive director of the Dallas Safari Club. Great promotion for him. We are so excited. But I want to tell you a little bit about their story. Five years ago, in fact, Kate was in preschool, I think. They moved to this area. And they connected with Bethel, and at that time it was on Highway 69 South. Met this family, and I was leading the family ministry team, and we needed someone to step in and lead our our kindergarten through fifth grade, our Bethel kids and that team. And I met with Karen Mason, and I couldn't believe it. She said, yes. And if you know her, you know it didn't take long, and it was a well-organized running thing. It was beautiful. Well, then I get to know Corey. And so here's Corey. He was like Mr. All-American on her team. He was checking kids in. He was greeting guests. He was teaching when needed. He was even vacuuming up water when floors and rooms flooded. Do you remember that? But then three years ago, 
we begin talking about this adventure called Bethel White House. And they jumped at the chance without hesitation. Corey becomes an elder. Met with him at Subway up out of town and said, man, we need somebody to lead this thing called Connections. You know, it's, it's kind of like this adult small group, this Sunday school class, but it's for people of all ages. It's not meant to come and to live here forever. We, we need someone to teach, but our goal is that they would be empowered to serve. He'd never done that, but he said yes. Karen comes and she begins in our elementary area, then moves down into her gifting of, of greeting and assimilation and leading women's Bible study. And this is what they told me last week. We think God moved us to White House to plant that campus. And listen, this is a family that we got to see God raise up as leaders. He built on their other experiences they had had, and we got to watch him do something even more with them. You know, think too many times we watched this happen and and God built them up. And can you imagine what he now has in place for them later? There's going to be some church that is going to be blessed beyond measure of this family. And we got to be a part of their journey. But this family, they lived generously. And I think too many times we look, at it, look for excuses to not do something, to not get involved, to say, no, we're too busy, we don't, we don't know enough, we don't have enough time, I'm not good enough. But this family, they looked for excuses to say yes and to do something, and they got involved. But here's why it hurts so much. Not only did God build them up as leaders, Not only did they live generously, it hurts because they worked at creating community. They did not create community by saying, you know what, I need a group of people that are going to meet all my needs. No, they served others. They lived unselfishly. And guess what they found? They found community. They've told me that the hardest part of this move for them is leaving this place, leaving Bethel. Because they found true community. They found this kind of community to do, not by looking for what could be done for them or what they could get out of this church. They found community. They found it by loving. They found it by living generously. And they found it by giving their lives away. And isn't that kind of turning it on its head? It seems like, no, it's got to be the other way. What can you do for me? How how can you meet all of my needs? I need community. But no, you really find it by loving others and giving your life away. And then all of a sudden you look around and there's this thing called community that just happens. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.